follow us on patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows. You will have to enter that in because the fact that we are adult content means that we have agreed to make ourselves unsearchable on their website. My name is Elle and I'm a sex educator. My name is Jen and I'm a private investigator. We want to learn more about ourselves. I'm like the boring vanilla one over here that's like, I don't do anything, but I'm, cu- I'm curious. And the fact that we're both sex workers means that we have insight into things taboo. Trigger warning, if you're easily upset by this stuff, maybe take a break. I have a feeling this is going to be weird. Sex and politics make for some strange bedfellows. So welcome back to Strange Bedfellows. Henry, I should have asked you this. How do you say your middle name? Oh, um, Laderette, although that is probably not how you're supposed to. I just don't speak French, and it's a French name, so (laughs) I just say Laderette, like a ladder, but like a little one. I was going to say Henry Latourette Miller. That sounds much nicer. That that was going to be my guess, too. It's the spelling of it, really. Um, So you are a writer and a podcast host, and uh, people can find your show Small Town America on Facebook, SoundCloud. Apple Podcasts, um, all all over the place, pretty much anywhere. Uh, and you're currently working on your master's in urban planning at Portland State University. Yes, I am. Yes, you are. Has yes. Apple Podcasts been fucky for you lately? A lot of our listeners are saying that they aren't being able to download the episodes on that platform. And that was an issue I had in my previous podcast, actually. Huh, I, I have not had that problem, but I've definitely stepped back from my podcast a little bit lately. So it could be... That it wasn't a problem when I was posting a lot, so okay, well, I am unsure. Well, that's good. I'm just paranoid now. I'm like everything that goes wrong. I'm, I'm like it's Fasta. It's Fasta. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, let's talk about the. So Henry, you are a historian like no one else that I know. Um, so let's talk about the histories. Historian-ish. Historian ish. Qua- historian quasi amateur. <laughs> I just like reading Wikipedia pages a lot and <laughs> doing an occasional digging through academic papers. Do you use that in your Tinder bio at all? Quasi-historian. Um, I, I, when I had Tinder, I probably should have, but uh-huh. uh, no. Nuts. Okay, that, there's always next time. Yeah. Um, so we want to talk to you about the city's history with sex work. Um, and, you know, each area around the country and around the world is unique in terms of like its past and present attitudes on sexuality and how they, you know, how each area legislates. And people often ask me, I'm sure you've gotten this before, Jen, why are there so many strip clubs in Portland? Yeah, right. Um, because there can be. So can you think of any notable stories, cases? So many. Um, this is an article that I wrote about why there's so many strip clubs in Portland. This is an article that has been published on by like uh, The Economist. This has been on HuffPo. This is all over the place. Select. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of interest in why this is the case. And we do have the most strip clubs per capita, um, according to Priceonomics. Um, it's like 54 in the city, which makes it, um, ooh, actually have the numbers here somewhere. Oh my mm-hmm. God, I think I actually cited your article in a paper. <laughs> oh, you did? <laughs> I'm, I'm finishing up an undergrad in econ at PSU and I did a wage study thing. Yeah, so cool. we have 54 strip clubs in the city of Portland out of 609,000 people. That's about 8.860 before, uh, for every 100,000 people. Hmm. Um, and that is higher than Tampa and much higher than uh, Houston, which has more strip clubs, but uh, fewer per, per, per person. So basically, every um, 11,000 people has access to one of their own strip clubs. If they wanted to open Yay. up a private like group of in let's meet. In Houston or in Portland? In Portland. In Portland. Every yeah, 11,000 11, people. Yeah. They, have, they, huh. they can have access to their own strip club and make a little club of their own if they want. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so... Please why? don't. There's too many. <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> no more. But the reasons why are very interesting, and they have a lot of um, legal arguments behind them, uh, lots of constitutional uh, debates in the Oregon Supreme Court. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, 1987, the one uh, with your name, Oregon State v. Henry. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's uh, Earl Henry, who opened a, an adult bookstore in Redmond, Oregon. 
only to see his almost his entire inventory uh, seized by the Deschutes County uh, after the Deschutes County District Judge issued a search warrant. Hmm. So this included uh, 142 books, 73 magazines, uh, nine films, six decks of playing cards. So <laughs> I, I think that like really speaks to, to the times. Yeah, to the times. I, playing more, cards. more books than videos, and the videos are probably yeah, they're film, like real to real. Beta, yeah, um, or film. So he was charged. Uh, Earl Henry was charged with disseminating obscene material and found guilty by uh, jury of his peers, and he was sentenced to sixty days in prison and fined two thousand dollars. Uh, And the debate in Oregon has basically been around what obscene means and uh, also a little bit about uh, what what sexy is and (laughs) what what people get off to. Um, So he uh, went to uh, the Court of Appeals reversed the the convictions against Earl Henry um, after finding that the Oregon revised statute of 167.087. There's going to be a lot of revised statutes and statutes that you're going to have to power through here. But um, so it was unconstitutionally vague. Uh, The problem, uh, the reason why he didn't end up going to prison um, is because the Article 1 of uh, Section 8 of Article 1 in the 1857 Oregon State Constitution Oh my God! So many numbers. I know you're uh, doing it. But uh, so let me let me actually read that. Oh and, please. Okay, so this is what Article One, Section Eight of the 1857 Oregon State Constitution says: No law shall be passed restraining the free expression of opinion or restricting the right to speak, write, or print freely on any subject whatever. But every person shall be responsible for the abuse of this right. So the murkiness hmm. comes down to what is free expression? Um, does opinion matter? Um, and what does it mean to be responsible for the abuse of this right? And wh- where was this statement published? This is the, in the Oregon Constitution. This okay. is Article 1, Section 8. Okay, Article 1, Section 8. I'm looking at the uh, statute that's now been repealed um, or renumbered, but you said repealed 167.087, repealed um, as of January 1st, 2008. That sounds right, yeah. Uh, That's really pretty recently. Yeah, this debate is still going on as recently as 2005. I'll I'll get back to that. Um, But the biggest thing, the biggest moment uh, when it came to bringing strip clubs into Portland en masse and having it be super common in the state of Oregon uh, was the uh, 1976 case where the city sued the Star Theater owner John Tidyman which is a great name <laughs> for a porn theater owner. <laughs> if you wanted to go to like a, a not such a, a CD spot, you're like, well, the guy sounds like he's pretty clean. His name's Tidy Man. Uh, but anyway, so the city sued Star Theater after obtaining a copy of a film titled Pumpin' the Poop Shoot. No. Um, yeah. So this is this went to the state supreme court, um, which cited section eight. This is was, what we're calling this episode, by the way. Pump, pump in, in the, the poop. poop shoot. Please do. And it like I was lolling so hard after reading I don't know twenty pages of a legal document just to get the gist, and then to get to that line, I was like, oh, yes. What a so, small gift. Yeah. So, yeah exactly. Um, so the here here's what the debate saying around. Was this even a sexual intercourse film? So it depicted defecation during the act of sexual intercourse. And at one point, John Tyman tried to be acquitted on the grounds that there was, quote, insufficient evidence that the subject film appealed to anyone's purient interest. <gasps> That's amazing. So, so he's basically <laughs> saying, like, look, no one was watching this to actually get off. There's... Which is which is absolutely not true. <laughs> Super not true. <laughs> but it's... it worked um, I'm out. I'm actually going to Google that movie right now you... just for... Curiosity. I I did not have the courage to do it. What what even is a turn on to people? And um, this this has like a kind of a federal history. Um, in all of the cases that I found that were very important, um, when it came to bringing strip clubs to Portland and how this happened, uh, very little uh, very little of it was regarding the safety of women in any of these clubs or um, like what. Uh, what the rights of sex workers were 
uh, it was almost always, you know, the city or, um, or the state was um, suing someone who was selling, you know, raunchy material. And mm-hmm. that, that was always how it was framed. And uh, I think this is really important because, um, and I'm, I'm sure Ali would agree with me on this, at least that's to some degree, but Portland's strip clubs have a lot of feminist uh, feminists mm. in them there is a very real sense of like progressive uh liberalism regarding sexuality in our strip clubs that um is not the i don't know like the stereotypical portrayal of like uh victims of mm-hmm. abuse and and uh anyway so i always find that very interesting and i think that's largely because our strip clubs um are allowed to uh exist at the rate that they are um, under uh, regulations, but um, but there's such vague it's f- the vague vagueness of the regulations. It's like yeah. it's like this area has figured out that um, they you know this it, whatever went to the Supreme Court. It's very rare that people will challenge the Supreme Court because it takes a lot of time and money. So it's almost as if enough people who live in this area have figured out and accepted the fact that it's very economically lucrative to have this many adult businesses. Yeah. Um, and indeed, like with what happened just a few months ago in New Orleans, where the city was trying to totally gut uh, so much of Bourbon Street and rezone to make all of the adult businesses close and all of the workers, um, they rallied where they're like, you're destroying our jobs to put in like a Disney funded theme park. And you guys say that you're doing this to improve the neighborhood, but nobody ever gave a shit when I was unsafe walking to my car at three in the morning. You know, like the neighborhood's not been safe for workers for a long time. So don't pretend like you give a shit about it now. Yeah. And the strategy that New Orleans was using is the same strategy that uh, Giuliani um, and the 90s era of New York politicians used to get rid of strip clubs and sex joints and, you know, porn theaters around Times Square. It was a it was a zoning strategy, mm-hmm. uh, which basically meant that they would uh, make it so that you can't open uh, an adult place, a venue, within a thousand feet of a school or a church. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the results of that, of course, is that all of the women who worked in these clubs ended up having to work in places where there was uh, you know, less police presence. There were fewer- Industrial uh, areas. Yeah, industrial areas in like the Bronx and Brooklyn. Um, and the clubs that were allowed to stay in Midtown Manhattan were grandfathered in, and there are rumors, I, I don't want to go on record any harder than, <laughs> than rumors, that many of these clubs are owned um, by mobs. Um, and Operating with the cops? Yeah, just like... Uh, yeah, the, like I went to one of these when I was uh, living in New York, and it's the difference between that club and a you know like a the Kit Kat or Lucky Devil or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, no, there was no pole dancing. I think they're legally required to have someone on stage uh, mm-hmm. doing some kind of like movement, standing there to call yeah, it to call but, it a dancing venue. But it was a, it was a brothel. They had Need like private warm rooms. body. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was it was essentially a brothel. They had private rooms that you would pay six hundred dollars to get. A private dance, but it, mm-hmm. who knows what else happened? Mm-hmm. Uh, so a dance is six hundred dollars is a lot for a dance. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it sure is. It's insane. So like your typical hustle club, yeah. Basically, where yeah. you're just the girls are just there to hustle, yeah. Individual people, and it's yeah. so funny because it's like. If, if that's the case and that's what is actually like operating at the venue, just fucking decriminalize the sale of sex already. Yeah. And like, why do people have to like do all these go arounds? It'll be a lot easier. Yeah. We've talked about this. Every time you criminalize something that's consensual, you just cause all kinds of problems. Yeah. You, I mean, you create a black market for it that, um, or at least you empower a black market that has no... Um, desire to consider, you know, the rights of the individuals that are operating in the industry. There's no economic uh, forces pushing them to like protect uh, the rights of their employees, mm-hmm. and that's something that I always um, that, that I that I try to think about because Oregon also has a serious problem with um, human trafficking, uh, and I think there's a lot of debate that's not being had about when. Uh, human trafficking in Oregon and our regulated sex industries uh, in, uh, interlock or overlap. Uh, and I think part of that is just because the taboo about sex and sex work specifically makes it so that people just don't want to 
try to crowbar those apart uh, and they don't want to actually invest in, um, you know, the resources to make it so that like we can um, actually crack down on the more the, the seriously troubling and uh, reputation ruining elements of uh, child trafficking in the state of Oregon. Right. So that's something I, I think about a lot. Well, um, there's something that needs to be considered um, when you are pursuing uh, people who are purportedly trafficking or coercing other people. And that is the attitudes of the so-called victims. So um, I had a woman actually, I don't know, on Instagram reach out to me recently and she said she's Canadian and she speaks primarily French. So sorry for the bad English, but um, she said it was a really roundabout way of asking that I don't exactly remember, but she said, do you think it matters what the, what the prostitutes think, how they feel in terms of their cases being handled. And I said, well, absolutely. Yes. Their attitudes about their plight should be taken into consideration. And she said, that's what I thought here. There's more consideration giving to the booking managers, AKA the pimps who run the women. And so they'll bust the women and it's yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's another frustrating thing that, um, when you make it part of the black market, uh, sex workers become criminals and um, that that just uh, yeah there's no motivation for the police to treat them otherwise unless right. you know there's uh, some kind of mandate from city hall or the anyway well I mean like if a piece of shit club owner is paying off the cops paying off the piece of shit cops and the club owner's <laughs> always going to be able to supply I mean there's always going to be women who need to make money who want to and need to make money so they're going to go to places to work and if there's a girl working in a club and she, you know, somebody slaps her ass and she tells him to fuck off and he's friends with the owner, the owner's just going to fire her because you can just get another girl, you know? So it's really interesting to try to go into venues, no matter what kind of venues they are, but just see how, how many general like basic rights the employees have, you know, no matter what the fuck they're doing for work. Like, are they allowed to say no to people? Are they allowed to not be like assaulted yeah. <laughs> or insulted maybe? Yeah. And, you know, it's something that I think is interesting about um, doing that in Portland. Like, I rely a lot on what the people who work there tell me. Like, there's a there's a community, like especially UL, and I've been to Lucky Devil mm-hmm. a lot of times. And um, from the people that you've introduced me to or told me to contact for an article that I was writing, um, I de- kind of developed a better picture of like which clubs I should be visiting and which ones I should be <laughs> avoiding mm-hmm. based on how the women are treated in, in those clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that kind of reflects the sense of community that exists in Portland strip clubs, um, the women who work in them especially, mm-hmm. uh, feeling like they can inform me that uh, that a particular club owner is a jackass. Um, so don't Or a white supremacist. Oh, or... yeah, or something <laughs> like that. I wonder who we could be talking about. <laughs> so, yeah, that's Ask me stuff. in person and I'll tell you. Ask me in person. Okay. <laughs> so how did the, so the Tideman case end? Okay, so this is a quote from the court document. Um, in this state, any person can write, print, read... This is kind of a summary, a bit of Article 1, Section 8, but there's a, something added to it. Um, In this state, any person can write, print, read, say, show, or sell anything to a consenting adult, even though that expression may be generally or universally considered obscene. Appearing nude or exposing one's genitals in public can constitute symbolic conduct and be a form of expression under Article 1, Section 8. So what's happened here is uh, this is the first serious change of our... um, Interpreter, or interpretation of that part of the Constitution, where we've moved away from talking about like uh, what it was sexuality and um, what what are our rights to to sell magazines and that sort of thing, to um, moving into like what it means to be obscene. And at this point, like it's it just because uh, the entire culture around you might consider something obscene, that does not mean that it's. Uh, something that you can be arrested for mm-hmm. um so uh, exposing one genitals in public um that that line in particular ended up being a huge uh, reason why strip clubs started popping up in portland and that's because we can have fully nude venues mm. uh, and what we, year was this case this to is this was a 10-year case it started wow. in 76 it was a it was a pretty long and you know, he- heavily debated uh, case that oh, pops up a lot when you do some research into this. The Earl Henry case was 1987. 
Um, but yeah, there's, and that was the guy with the bookstore in Redmond yeah. who had his things seized. Yeah. So okay. there's a, there's a lot of these. There's another one from 96 that I'm sure we'll talk about after the break. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Attention service and sex industry workers. Seeking Space Yoga is dedicated to providing a holistic option for after your shift with new 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. class times. Seeking Space is rooted in empathy and they've combined creative flows and experienced teachers to provide a safe, inviting space for any and all wishing to find peace on the mat. Need a little motivation? They are offering 10% off on all memberships and packages for those in the industry. Visit SeekingSpaceYoga.com or download the Seeking Space Yoga app for more information and a full list of class times. Passion by Kate is an award-winning resource for women and couples who crave a more intimate, exciting, and fulfilling sex life. Passion by Kate's affirming writing, workshops, and one-on-one counseling help you create a new level of openness and intimacy with your partner without feeling awkward, twisting yourself into a pretzel, or spending hours a day on intimacy-building activities. Learn more and find hashtag freedom and pleasure at Passion by Kate. That's K-A-I-T dot com. Mention this podcast to receive a complimentary 30-minute counseling session when you purchase any Passion by Kate product or service. If you're looking to jazz up a jacket, bag, or just your fine self, our friends at Gimme Flare have everything you could possibly need. Gimme Flare is the largest online retailer of pins and patches that range from the cute and sweet to the snarky and slutty. They are sex positive, queer friendly, and aim to crush mental health stigma, all with fun flair from around the globe. Check out gimmeflare.com to browse items from over 250 plus artists. All right, so what were we talking about? <laughs> we were talking about the various cases um, in Oregon's Supreme Court history. You said the 1996 one. There, well, yes, and before I get to that, I'm, I'm going to finish. <laughs> I'm uh, so eager. <laughs> I know. There's, there's a lot to talk about. But I love it. I think this is important from a, a national perspective to understand um, how the federal Supreme Court has spoken about the issue of sex work and anyway. Mm -hmm. So um, this is a quote that was used in the Earl Henry case. And it's a quote from uh, Justice Douglas, who was the longest serving, still still has the record of being the longest serving justice on the Supreme Court. Damn. Um, Yeah, it was like 36 years, which he was was, uh, selected at the age of 40. I feel like there was a political move there. Um, Anyway, (laughs) uh, so uh, basically what he was talking about is um, it it was porn films and whether those should be censored. And he uh, said that the First Amendment was the product of a... Oh, and he's talking about the national uh, constitution, Mm constitution of the United States. Um, The First Amendment was the product of a robust, not a prudish age, The four decades prior to its enactment saw the publication virtually without molestation from any authority of two classics of pornographic literature. I love that quote. Mm. Pornographic literature. Classics of pornographic literature. Mm -hmm. Uh, So um, the ones he's talking about are William King's The Toast and John Cleland's Memoirs of of a Woman of Pleasure. Uh, Yeah, which has been described as, quote, the most important work of genuine pornography that has been published in English. Also awesome that they're recognizing that other porn has been published in other languages and like other literature exists. <laughs> there's like there's a hint of wokeness in this guy's uh, way of talking about this that I just I loved when I was reading it. Um, he also said that this was the age when Benjamin Franklin wrote his quote advice to a young man on choosing a mistress and John Quincy Adams who was a uh, had a strongly puritanical bent for a man of his literary interests. Uh, even said that Tom Jones uh, was one of the best novels of the language. Tom Jones is a raunchy-esque piece of literature. Anyway. <laughs> so this is William Douglas? Yeah. Uh, okay, and he was a Democrat. Uh, yes. Okay, and, did he uh, die in 1980? Yes, he did. Okay, God, he was born in 1898. Oh, that's yeah. shit. Yeah, so this, this is when he was 75 time. years old was when he was writing this in the 70s, and... 
telling people like, yeah, our founding fathers liked porn <laughs> and we're well aware and it's it wasn't like that simple and cut and dry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, anyway, so I just thought I'd bring that up to give a little bit of a national perspective because that was um, cited in the Earl Henry case. Huh. Yeah, it always comes down to, look, if there's any way that legislation such as FOSTA or the things that you were mentioned would ever be overturned, it's by challenging them on their First Amendment violation. Um, so, whew, that was a lot of facts. I'm like, nice yeah. and <laughs> I, I have full. more. I will hold back for uh, a little bit. Well, what do you say we switch gears and do some listener questions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to read the first one? Ooh, I will. All right, listener question number one. Um, are there any good ways to tell if someone is lying to me? I find myself in relationships where I only see all of the signs of dishonesty after it's too late, and I'm wondering if any of those tells are real. Can you tell when someone is lying to you? Oh, I love those, like, clickbaity articles are like, 10 ways to tell if someone... I mean, but, but I mean, some of the things they say are actually true. Um, I pulled one up from Psychology Today. And it's so funny because these are like, yeah, it could be, or maybe that's just how the person functions and shows anxiety. And you can be showing anxiety about other things when you're talking and people will think that you're being dishonest about what you're talking about. So stuff like throat clearing, jaw manipulation, hard swallowing, eye pointing, like looking away. Oh yeah. Like I want to escape. Except these like CIA tricks are going to work for you. (laughs) I feel like if you think someone, if you have good reason to think that someone is lying to you, have them tell you their story a few times, note how it changes and check it out. Check out their story. Like go investigate their story. If it, and honestly, if you're in a relationship with somebody that you don't, that you really have good reason to, kind of implement this on maybe you shouldn't be in a relationship with this person because there's other people that will not make you feel like you're being lied to yeah it's hard when people get um when they have a lot of uh in their histories like having grown up with toxic people that will lie and be manipulative and narcissistic and hair trigger tempers it can be really really difficult for people to find folks that have normal healthy communication styles because it's like all the bad shit's been so normalized. So as far as like in terms of breaking the cycle, I think always uh, talk therapy or even one of those little charts where it's like, are you in an abusive relationship? Just like keep one of those handy and at the first sign of red flags. Like really, I mean, there's just like people just, I watch people and you guys probably have too, and you've done it yourselves. Like, Oh, here I go. I'm doing this again. I'm ignoring this thing again. This makes me feel weird, but I'm not going to question it because then they're going to get angry and then I'm going to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Or they've told me I'm crazy so many times that maybe I'm just crazy. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's me imagining this. Mm -hmm. Henry, you can get in on here, Henry. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I just want to say it's not cool if you're like, are you lying to me? And they're like, no, you're just nuts. Um, that, yeah. That's not fair. I, this is interesting because um, so I, I'm in a relationship at the, where we are incredibly happy, but we're both bringing, um, you know, our previous relationships into this to try and inform ourselves so like, well, this is what I did wrong in the last one. So maybe I can learn from that and apply it to this one. Um, and it, I think a lot of the reason why it doesn't work is because um, like I'm more honest and trusting in this relationship than I was in the other one. So if I try to bring a, a lesson that I learned and how to deal with someone who's lying, it's going to end up like making a toxic situation. Mm. Uh, and I, I sometimes I worry that uh, I've overlearned from uh, the past where I felt like I've been j- betrayed by, by someone. And then I do this whole thing where I'm like, am I just like... Is, is this just like a, a misogynistic element that lives in like the deeper regions of my brain where I just don't trust women? Oh, no. Uh, yeah. And, it, and then that makes you feel bad. Yeah, that makes me feel bad. And then I uh, apologize to my girlfriend. She's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what, is, what, what, what have you been thinking about for the last hour? Uh, so, yeah, I, you know. like bringing your baggage you're talking about bringing your baggage from your previous like trying to do it with good intentions I think yeah and even then even when you try to do it with good intentions you can end up creating a situation that didn't need to exist Um, and it just I don't know that I'm 
now I'm now talking about my personal stuff, but that that's happened to me recently where I'm like, why did I drop this on someone who, um, who, who, you know, is not the same person as who I was dating before. So, yeah. Mm, have you, have you had that conversation? Well, I guess maybe it's not applicable now, but going forward in your relationships or in the one that you were in, have you had that conversation where you say, I have a real fear of being bossy because this is my modality much of the day. Can you let me know if you feel like I'm pushing on you in that way? Um, I haven't had that conversation per se, uh, in my most current relationship, but I mean, I, you know, they, they know that I work as a PI and they know that I'm just a very, very skeptical individual. And that's just who I am. That's just like my default mode. I really am trying to work very hard on giving somebody the benefit of the doubt. If I have no other reason not to believe you, then I try to believe you in my personal life because life is just too short for me to constantly be like, okay, now tell me that again backwards. Mm, like in yeah, terms yeah. of dating someone. <laughs> and I'm going to need like some references. Can you get me a receipt? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to live like that. Yeah. However, yeah. however, I think that it's, it's important to value your own sanity. And if you really think somebody is lying, lying to you and you've got some, you've got something invested in it and you want to be sure go check go check it out and then act appropriately don't and legally check it out legally don't stalk <laughs> them or like break into their yeah. <laughs> hire, hire break Jen. into their stuff you know just hire jen yeah, yeah, hire, yeah hire me. it's really funny i was thinking about this the other day in terms of what i've recently learned about like ocd uh behaviors and i think about this in the way that i check myself for my own micro OCD behaviors, which are still noticeable to my family and people around me. Um, but how like the thing you do to cope with what stresses you out. So like, I don't like shit on the floor. So I vacuum the floor. But when I vacuum the floor eight times a day, because I'm obsessed with their sh being shit on the floor, that's become unhealthy. So people enter into relationships because you want the good things, the touching and the fun and the companionship and the sharing things and whatever. But when you're doing so many unhealthy things to keep the relationship, then it's like the thing you were doing, trying to, the coping mechanism is now what's hurting you. Yeah. Does that make sense? It yeah. does make sense. I think yeah. that there's parallels there, but that's hard. And that's how these things snowball. Uh, let's see. Question number two. In light of FOSTA slash SESTA passing, is there any way that a sex worker individual could declare themselves as an entity that is working on their own volition by their own consent so that they would bypass falling under that status as trafficked. So like basically like drawing up con a contact <laughs> exactly that, that I am doing I consent. I mean, I don't see what would possibly stop you from that. I'm not really sure that how much that would weight that would hold in I, court if somebody decided to go after you yeah. somehow I recently it, watched a kinky Texas lawyer give a presentation about Faustin Sesta rights and she said actually it's probably best that you do not declare yourself responsible because you don't know what happens down the road how that could hurt you mm. if, if the laws change and you've already declared yourself a target like, this is really scary shit. And also, yeah, and other than that, it doesn't really give you any... Because you can't go around federal law. It's still federal law. Right. So, um, but I've had this question a lot, too. Because it's like, well, you want to... The idea is you want to protect people who are being trafficked. So, let's just not focus on those people. Hi, I'm not being trafficked. No, not you. <laughs> not you. You're probably being trafficked because the federal government says you are now. <laughs> Not you. I mean, Fuck I you. laugh, but you know, it's like <laughs> laughing the laugh of the damned. Yeah. Here. Laugh now, cry later. <laughs> oh God, this is the least I've talked about sex in a recording all day. Is anybody having a nice sex life? I don't have any sex life lately. I'm what? on a rough period. Yeah, me too. I am. Are you bleeding? Oh no, I'm not bleeding, but oh. I'm just like being shat upon by the homework gods and the work gods, and. <laughs> I don't have time to think about sex this week. Maybe next week when it's all over. But mm -hmm. right now I have a really horrible research paper I have to finish by Thursday. Mm -hmm. Oh, fine. I, I feel you on that. Henry. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, yeah, no, it's, it's fine. I, but yeah, the just crushed with homework. And worse Crushed yet, is literally. Yeah. 
<laughs> where it's like funny, idea. where it's like, uh-huh, there's no way, there's no way I'm going to survive this. I'm actually at the point where I'm kind of calculating how little work I have to do to get a C. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. I'm like, I've I just don't that. care. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I think I can pass. Hey, a degree is a degree. It gives a shit. Yeah, right. I yeah. wish I could have gone back. Oh, my God. I remember crying, being like, I'm not going to get a B and I'm not going to. It doesn't matter. You can you can get a fucking college degree with a C. C is all across the board. It's fine. This is true. Also, college degrees probably aren't going to help you. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to get a master's. Oh. Right. And it's even like then, the who knows? It's the new high school diploma that you yeah. have to have. To <sighs> I'm looking through more of these uh, lack of emphatic gestures, more of these tells backwards. See, and some of these really, really are like true good generalizations. Like when you are interested in something, you will typically lean into it. You know, right. that's why like when I'm working and I'm trying to indicate interest, even like on a subconscious level, I will lean into a person I don't like. You know, whether that means like I'm going to smell their breath now more or be closer to their person, whether or not, you know, some people I like just fine. Some people like, oh, God, but I know I know they're going to pay me if I just interact with them. So (laughs) um, and it's like backwards leaning is when you're and you if you look around the room, you know, when you watch people interact, you can see the people that are probably interested in each other and the ones that aren't right. And yeah, body language. Mm -hmm. You see this all the time with like the guy holding his beer in front of him. And like talking at the dancer or the lady or whatever. And let's just say in this case that the dancer lady's not interested. So she's sitting with her body angled away and maybe her head kind of halfway facing, but her shoulders are away from him because mm. she's not actually interested. She's just trying to show that she's listening enough that he won't get angry or whatever. And you don't want to turn your back to someone like that. That's, you know, like right. these, this I, stuff is real. Yeah. <laughs> but you can't also just look at someone and say, aha, you are lying lying about what i mean if you, i think if you know if you know somebody pretty well and you've spent a lot of time on them i mean it's not like the foot tapping isn't going to give it away but i think it's like the confluence of things like you're fidgeting all over the place and you won't look yeah. me in the face and your tense is all wrong i'm like yeah you're lying about yeah. this you know yeah or if it's something where they may have lied before like if the, the context mm, is, is right. also yeah mm-hmm. I, I super focus on context dependent yeah yeah because if you're a PI, I've been working as a journalist, um, or I was for a very long time, and it's very interesting because, um, and I'm I'm now thinking of this as a like a qualitative like a researcher. Uh, sometimes you want to include people's lies because it's them speaking their their view of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, They're and, telling you something. Yeah, and and when you do that though, it kind of makes it more difficult, at least for me, to then see past that veneer. Because if you tr- take someone at their word um, and you don't do the proper like contextual research, you will end up uh, writing their lie um, without having anything else to say about who the. Um, I don't know what the point it is that they're trying to make. Um, I don't know how to transfer that over into a relationship, but uh, <laughs> it's definitely interesting. I've, I've thought about this when interviewing like sex workers before, just because I don't know. I've been challenged a lot. Like, how do you know they're not being trafficked? How do you how do you know that's where they actually want to be? I mean, and it's hard to say honestly unless you develop. I mean, that's why I guess relationships unfold over time. Over time, you see that somebody is consistent and show shows earns your trust and earns your respect like over time and like yeah it's usually on a it's really hard to assess that like on a first meeting or second yeah. meeting well, even though i do about... say trust your hunch i mean if somebody if you feel like somebody's throwing you a line of bullshit these measures to determine whether someone uh you know whether someone needs to be prosecuted or not these already exist we already have these like these measures these steps so when you're making it more difficult to differentiate between who's uploading their naked files on google drive because they want to or because someone's doing you know what i mean like now that things are just being banned and removed it's harder to actually keep track of data files or who's uploading what how do you even prove something like that yeah i don't even i don't even know what like the evidence would look like to like prove Something yeah, I, I have a feeling it, it should be very case dependent and, uh, you know, considering um, the person as an individual who also has, you know, the ability to make choices for themselves in some cases, and at least 
And I, I think the problem with, um, you know, legislation like that is that, um, again, it's like the, the prudishness or the treatment of sex work as, as a ta- an ultimate taboo. Because that it most makes it... women couldn't possibly want to do mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah. And they can't, couldn't possibly have the faculties to, like, really a, to make this decision in, yeah. in an informed way, you know. Yeah. It makes them either victims or criminals, and both are are bad in the long run. I, I feel just because if if they're victims, um, it's taking away their agency, and if they're criminals, it's uh, you know it's taking away their agency. Yes, yeah, taking yeah, it's taking away their agency. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, all bad things. Yeah, both cases. Yeah, let's take another break. Hey, friends, do you get sore muscles or stiff joints like us? How's your skin? Is it dry, itchy, irritated, bruised, or sunburned? If so, it sounds like you need some Nabalm in your pocket. Nabalm, that's N-A-E-B-A-L-M, is an all-natural skin and body balm handmade right here in Portland. Nabalm products use a base of organic olive oil and beeswax followed by an infusion of therapeutic essential oils, each of which provides all sorts of benefit. Oh yes, and they smell amazing. To learn more, check out nabalm.com or search Nabalm on Facebook or Instagram. Do you have sex questions? Do you want help learning new techniques, communicating with a partner, opening a relationship, or exploring kink? Sex and intimacy coach Stella Harris can help. Visit her office in Portland or connect via Skype to take your intimate life to the next level. Learn more and schedule at www.stellaharris.net or follow her on Instagram at Stella Harris Erotica. Yeah, we're back. Okay. We're back. <laughs> We're back. Um, so I don't really fully understand. I don't know how to explain what the League of Oregon Cities is, other than uh, a state government entity that is it kind of like the OLCC, where it's like a private entity that acts as state government. That that seems about right. Um, on, in in their on their homepage, uh, it's a gov- It says it's a government government entity formed by an intergovernmental agree- agreement by. Oregon's incorporated cities. Okay, so um, and the OLCC is the Oregon Liquor Control Commission. I believe yeah. that's what that stands for. But yeah, they're the people, like for example, who regulate um, the drunk driving. Who's responsible for how much alcohol the bars give you? And now they're managing the weed consumption in this city yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. Anywho, uh, so th- they they are important. Um, they uh, they they say they advocate for cities, monitoring the activities of Oregon's uh, legislature. State boards and this is the League of yeah Oregon Cities. So they they have agency. They can they can they are change makers. And in 1996, um, they came out with a decision that said that uh, quote adult businesses may be zoned and regulated. However, wait, sorry, I need to get the how Mm -hmm. they how they say this correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, So when it was being discussed, uh, if um, adult industry. Uh, venues could be zoned out of certain neighborhoods because of being close to a school or a church, like in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, the League of Oregon Cities uh, said that um, adult businesses may be zoned and regulated, however, only the same as other commercial enterprises. So mm-hmm. this meant that you could not give them that special treatment that said, if there's just a strip club within a thousand feet of a church and school, then it has to be moved somewhere else. Um, so that's another big deal when it comes to creating what we kind of experience together as like the downtown uh, strip club scene mm-hmm. and the the presence of it and the sort of, I want to say like the cultural acceptance. Um, <laughs> I think it also kind of uh, makes it feel like Portland has a community of strip clubs as opposed to just like strip clubs dotting the industrial parts of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, Although there yeah. are parts of the city where you will never see a strip club occupy like Northwest. Like the Pearl, yeah, places with places with money. Yeah, I'm wondering if there used to be one there that may have closed down. Well, oh, if there Magic used to Garden. be, yeah, well, Magic Garden it, was kind, that was kind of old town, but it was yeah. more, yeah, it was more industrial, and the whole area is getting um, beautified and directed at tourists. So well, I'm sure now that rents have gotten so high, I can't imagine how it would be <laughs> be really profitable. Hard. You know, like that's I I don't think that that would be a really good place to open 
a yeah. strip club as far as like all the overhead from renting the space. Like I said, we don't need any more. <laughs> I, I, I mean, <laughs> I know, right? I know we don't need any more, but I have a huge fancy of opening one at the uh, train station, like the historic <laughs> Union Station. You love the train station. I, yeah, we've been there. I've taken you there before. Me I there. fantasize about that all the time where I would just like make it so that when all the trains came down from Seattle, it would just be a bunch of Portland butts pressed up against the, <laughs> the glass of the windows. <laughs> so, Portland yeah, butts. That, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's my, it's it's my like the timbers. Yes, exactly. We're the Portland butts. Yeah. yeah, that'd be a good name for our potential baseball team. Yeah. The butts? Yeah, because oh we're getting a baseball team. You know we about. are getting, we, is that definitely happening? Uh, maybe not definitely, but it's probably going to happen. And I'm not, I'm not thrilled about it. Oh come on! It could at least be like the Portland Strippers or something. That'd be, that'd be good. That'd definitely be better uh, than the Portland Butts. Uh, There's too many things happening too fast, and I just need to hold on to something because I can't take it. (laughs) (laughs) The city is exploding. Yeah. Uh, So can I do the last legal thing? Sure. We can move on. Yeah. Um, For sure. Okay. So in 2005, Oregon Supreme Court um, ruled public sex as protected speech uh, in a 5-1 decision. So pretty, yeah, pretty heavily in favor of this. Um, This is from OPB. Um, It it began as a a strip club owner um, being arrested for after two strippers in his club were caught performing (gasps) sex acts during their show. That's right. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do we know what club this was? This is in Roseburg. So I don't I don't know any clubs in Roseburg and I couldn't comment. After this decision is why some other more performative close like fuller sex clubs opened here not really oh yeah it was after that it was after this decision i believe that casa opened oh because they will do sex shows Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. casa diablo Mm -hmm. yeah and and what's interesting is he actually wanted to open it as a uh as a restaurant and he failed as a a restaurateur so who's that um the owner of casa diablo oh that's funny and the same thing for acropolis they both started as uh wanting to open restaurants um, and they couldn't make it in the biz, so they had boobs inside. And that that yeah, will do it. All they have to do is add blockchain to the <laughs> name. <and laughs> well, Kit Kat Club has blockchain. Uh, that's funny. Oh, really? And then Acropolis is the steakhouse strip club now, and yeah. Casa Diablo is the vegan strip club. Yeah, that's funny. And an, oh, and another important finding in that uh, decision, the Supreme Court decision, was that. Um, it also uh, ruled against the four-foot buffer rule that exists in other cities. So we're allowed to interact, um, like performers and uh, audience members are allowed to interact. And I think that is really when Portland strip clubs started looking and being the things that they are mm-hmm. today. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, anyway. so artistic. Oh, yeah, no, I, I had a friend who worked in uh, all over Jersey in the East Coast, and she said, she's like, you're not allowed to be tipped while you're on stage dancing, but you would be up there for like 15 minutes or 20 minutes of time just holding your boobs or whatever, walking around, clicking your heels. Cause she said there's not a lot of dancing. And then you get off stage and you walk around and push your boobs together and ask for a dollar. Yeah. And, um, so the fact that people can't tip you while you're dancing, that would, that would hurt my money so bad. How do you build rapport? How do you build excitement? In Atlanta had all kinds of weird rules. Like, um, Atlanta was one of those cities that did allow like both full nudity and alcohol at the same time, which is pretty rare around the U S like most other cities. You can't, if you have alcohol, you've got to be topless, only topless or wear pasties, but Atlanta allows all that, but you couldn't bend over. You weren't supposed to bend over more than 45 degrees. Um, over that, the that, wait, over the bar, or no, like just bend over in general, <laughs> really? bend all the way over. You could not get down on all fours. Um, they used to have a rule that you, all the clubs had a rule that you had to have so much pubic hair, like you could not have like a totally bald vagina. Like you Vulva. had to have, yeah, it was like the no pink law. And no, and seriously, what? literally, that was like the first the first thing that like they would check on audition. Wow. No, I don't. That this was many, many years ago, so I don't know if things have changed. That's but, funny. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's just all so, so bizarre. There was a club that tried to institute um, that kind of conduct, uh, those kinds of conduct rules, a few years ago in Portland downtown. It was um, 
I want to say like a Vegas style club. I'm not going to say which one, but I had a friend working there at the time and I think it only lasted a few months because too many dancers were like, I can't perform, but it was stupid shit. Like, uh, I remember one dancer, uh, who went by Luca, she did a lot of pole tricks and she said that her, she was told by management that her feet and her shoes had to be on the stage at all times. So no, oh. no upside down, no inverting. <laughs> what? Uh, oh my god yeah Yeah. have fun with that good times it's very very like limiting as a dancer is and and those clubs like you know i associate that kind of thing with like the kind of ritzy gentlemen's clubs that Mm -hmm. you say like you find in the south like the cheetah or like other places like their gown clubs like they uh used to do this dance it was like the cheetah bop which was oh no oh yeah that sounds like a disney show (laughs) it's kind of like the disney version of a strip club but they're soulless it's like they created this soulless sexless and environment that's not fun as a customer yeah i who wants to go in and see that even though honestly lots of people (laughs) yeah well when you only have like two clubs per 800 gazillion people or whatever right jk there is a bunch he said tampa there was a bunch in tampa yeah it's the per capita ratio that's important to know because uh houston has more than we do it's like in 60s or 70s clubs but it's so spread out and not concentrated and i think that's why portland as a as a strip club scene. Well, aren't like, they a so, much bigger population? Yeah, they're yeah, they're also four times the size of us. Okay. They're yeah. like two million something. Right. So that'll do it. I wonder if it's because we have so many strip clubs per capita that like competition is kind of real. I don't know. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, I mean how competition has kind of forced people to focus more on individual like mm-hmm. the individual charms of the performers as opposed to like you have to come here because there's only three clubs, you know, like mm-hmm. In other cities. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is different because that doesn't apply to Vegas because there's a lot of adult establishments there, but they have like the Barbie aesthetic seemingly more so across the board. I have not, I'm speaking out of ignorance. I haven't been inside a Las Vegas strip club. I only know girls that work there and I just know things that I've been told like in general, like you can't wear flats. You couldn't have a shaved head unless you maybe have like huge boobs and you're wearing heels, you know? Um, so boring. I have boring, I know, where's the variation? I, mean, I, I love like everybody that I talk to, um, who's like visited Portland and gone to a strip club and, you know, talked about, um, what it was like, uh, in the Portland scene there, they always comment on the tattoos because <laughs> almost every woman in, in our clubs have tattoos. <laughs> That's true. Which I, I think is awesome. You got a big one on your booby, Jen. I do. <laughs> I mean, I guess I don't want to shit on the Barbies, right? No. I just like to, well, you know, I'm half, like, we are wonderful. half the Barbies. I just want to see lots of different kinds of people. Like, I just, I guess I just don't want to go to a club where everybody looks the same. I like to see lots of different kinds. Mm-hmm. Everybody likes to see lots of different kinds, lots even if they kinds. don't know it. Even if they have like a reaction like, oh, that woman has stretch marks. It's like, yeah, you need that fucking reality in your life okay (laughs) because there are good ass dancers who have stretch marks and mom boobs and their people think they're sexy because they are because bodies exist in so many different ways and it's only when people chill out and like have this permission for themselves to like be attracted to things that isn't like as socially acceptable is when they'll have a better time like guys that are like oh i didn't you have hair in your armpits (laughs) i'm like "Uh uh-huh how do you feel about that? You know, like you had a boner. How's your boner? Oh, still there. Still there. Weird. It's almost like women and people have had a hair under their armpits for like hundreds of thousands it's, of it's fucking years. It's almost like we evolved to grow it yeah. <laughs> under there. Like it might be a natural process. Yeah. Mm. It's only like your reaction is because it was implanted into your mind that I shouldn't have hair under my armpits. So I was actually handed a um, a copy. I'm holding it. It's stapled. It's printed. It's not even digital. Um, a friend who I met as a customer actually uh, handed this to me about a week ago. And it is uh, one of Emma Goldman's essays. It's The Traffic in Women from 1910. And it's from her Anarchism and Other Essays. So I don't know a lot about... She was like technically a suffragette, but not really, right? The suffragettes, a lot of them were only concerned about white women issues. I think oh, yeah, yeah. she, she, because she was an anarchist, it was a lot of like workers' rights issues. So this essay is interesting because it is indeed 
I mean, it's about many things and I suggest people check it out, but it's, it's tackling, it's tackling the problem of, of the negatives of prostitution and capitalism, but from the stance of a woman a hundred years ago who was an anarchist and also not a sex worker. So Mm. when my client friend handed it to me, he said, it's really interesting to see how many things have changed and what things have stayed the same. So I'm going to read a little bit. Our reformers have suddenly made a great discovery, the white slave traffic. The papers are full of these, quote, unheard of conditions, and lawmakers are already planning a new set of laws to check the horror. It is significant that whenever the public mind is to be diverted from a great social wrong, a crusade is inaugurated against indecency, gambling, saloons, etc. So we're talking about anybody ever see the movie Wag the Dog? Like, oh, I know what you're talking about. I didn't see it, though. Like, we have our administration right now, and there's some real shit going on, but they'll just distract us Ugh. with things like, let's sign FOSTA. Um, and what is the result of such crusades? Gambling is increasing. Saloons are doing a lively business through back entrances. Prostitution is at its height, and the system of pimps and cadets is but aggravated. How is it that an institution known to almost every child should have been discovered so suddenly? How is it that this evil known to all sociologists should now be made such an important issue? So like every time you see in the news, it's like these little waves of like war on drugs, war on alcohol. Right now it's going to be anti, you know, we're going to fight sex trafficking, which really, and the lawyer person that I watched speak a couple days ago. They're just really fighting sexuality. Right. And that's what she said. She said these laws do what they're intended to, which is to end the existence of the sex worker, whether or not you're hurting people. Um, so this is a very, very, very long essay, but she says nowhere is woman treated according to the merit of her work, but rather as a sex. It is therefore almost inevitable that she should pay for her right to exist, to keep a position in whatever line with sex favors. Thus, it is merely a question of degree, whether she sells herself to one man in or out of marriage or to many men. Whether our reformers admit it or not, the economic and social inferiority of woman is responsible for prostitution. I have said this before. I said, if you are a trophy wife, you are a high-end escort who made a decision. Oh, yeah, you're working for it. You're earning every penny of that, Yeah, I, I think. You, you looked know? around and you were like, I could marry this person and have some financials. And I know women who did this. One of my best friend's moms did this in high school because my high school friend, I looked around at her amazing house in the pool that had like the infinity all the stuff. And my friend said, yeah, my mom can't stand so-and-so, but she wanted a better life for us. I mean, it's commendable. I mean, I think that's, it says a lot that it's right. often the only, it's often the only opportunity women have to better their right. lives. I just thought it was so yeah. rad that this anarchist, like kind of swerf woman yeah. is like, you know, women don't have that many options. So you're going to have to sell your pussy, like whether it's to your husband or to multiple Johns. Uh, yeah, I, I heartily agree with that, that, that sentiment. It's one way to redistribute wealth in this country. I mean, to <laughs> yeah. think the chances are those women are going to fucking outlive those old dudes, <laughs> and eventually that wealth will belong to them yeah. and their children. So mm-hmm. uh, that one, one way to do it. There's a, there's a great uh, uh, Ricky Gervais joke where uh, he's talking about the woman who married Hugh Hefner at the you know end of his life, and she was Crystal, I believe, was her name. Yeah. She was twenty six. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. very young. And mm-hmm. um, you know, this is Ricky Gervais's joke, but he's like, when someone asked her why she married um a- an eighty four year old, she was like, oh, because he told me he was ninety four. <laughs> she's gonna, he's gonna die. <laughs> she's gonna keep... <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, uh... <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, no hate. No, seriously. That's that's why I think um that's why I think that stay-at-home um wives and mothers uh feel especially threatened by women like us in the sex industry because we are a perceived threat to their financial like physical be you know in the home with their children and their things security because the fear is that they'll like leave you for the stripper which does happen I'm sure I've never met anyone who's ended a marriage and like moved in with a rich man but I'm sure it happens you know so because yeah it's a it's like it comes down to commodity and scarcity drives fear yeah man (laughs) how's that for economics yeah that was was good Mm. thank you for pronouncing scarcity oh yeah (laughs) oh no I actually had a guy in in one of my classes recently another, another econ major but who pronounced scarcity like scarcity, scarcity. Yeah. And scarcity. Like, i don't 
Epitome. What about epitome? Oh, oh. Epitome. That'll get you. That's a good one. Um, that's a good one. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it. Um, Henry, you are fantastic. Your podcast is called Small, Small Town. Town America. Yep. Yeah. And you're on Facebook, SoundCloud. You said you're taking some time off. Um, mm-hmm. But we can find you and all over the internet too. Henry Latterette Miller. Yeah, that's, uh, I'll spell the middle name because yeah, nobody gets it. It's L A T O U R E T T E. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's only, I only I hate to be a douche and include my middle name, but it's only because there was some other Henry Miller. <laughs> Maybe you like, heard of him. <laughs> yeah, and, like another famous writer who lived, not, not that I'm famous, but who lived in the same neighborhood in Brooklyn and wrote about sex stuff. So, oh, that uh, makes it hard. Yeah, yeah. you might want to. Good SEO like job there as yeah. far as the Google searches. <laughs> the other, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's what I said on my business card. Oh. <laughs> the other one, <laughs> yeah. Uh, like yeah. All right, well, um, thanks everyone. Uh, until next time, yeah. until next time.